Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. So good to be with our family here at Word of Life. I'm so happy to be here. Hola, bienvenidos to Word of Life. Me llamo Pastora Ali. I speak just piquito, espanol. I wanted to do the next service. I wanted to be with your incredible pastors, which, by the way, you guys are amazing. And um, Pastor Anna, 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 I'm just getting to know them. Man, you just, your spirit, the spirit you carry in this house, it's so excellent. And uh, your prayers yesterday, they were so encouraging. And uh, I just feel like I'm at home, so forgive me if I um, I don't say it right. But I love being at Word of Life, and um, we are family. It's true. From the Midwest, I originally grew up in the Northwest in Seattle, Washington, but I've lived in the Midwest in Chicago for um, now about almost... 2019 years. I've been married 19 years, and then I have three children, and I have been pastoring downtown Chicago for 12 years um, alongside my husband, Pastor Kent, and building it with, um, you call her Dr. Anna. She was Pastor Anna at City Church, and um, and I can just say that your pastors, Pastor John, Dr. Anna, are two of the most incredible people, and I just you know, the Bible says to give honor where honor is due. And I think we just need to give a, a round of applause for Dr. Anna, for Pastor John. They're two of the most incredible world leaders you will ever meet. Um, of course, they carry many giftings and talents and abilities. And I'm, I'm a little intimidated because between Dr. Eva and Dr. Anna, they're probably the most the smartest people I know, and uh, definitely the smartest people in the room. And I just, I, I count it a joy to be able to do life with them. Uh, Greg and Chloe, who are now here, were with us at City Church and help um, build City Church as well. So you have some incredible people. And Gurneet, our friend from Chicago, is here visiting, and she's great friends with Dr. Anna. So thank you, Gurneet, for traveling all this way. Came in from Greece just to be here to support Pastor Anna and to Dr. Anna to be here with with me and her. So, hey, we're family. I could be a crazy cousin. And you know what? It's okay. I'm rambling a little bit, but that's because I already love you all so much. So thank you so much for receiving me. And, and I believe that Jesus has a right now word for each and every single person in this place. And I'm here on assignment. So we're going to just dive into the word of God. And if you would be kind to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 12. We're going to start in verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles, I'm sure they have them on the screen. You can follow along. And uh, this is going to be our text for today. It says, I know a man in Christ who was caught up in the third heaven for 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. Only God knows. I know this man, whether the, in the body or out of the body, I do not know. 
God knows. I was caught up in paradise and heard inexpressible words which a human being is not allowed to speak. I will boast about this person, but not about myself, except of my weaknesses. Somebody say weaknesses. For if I were to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be telling the truth, but I'll spare you on that so that no one can take credit So no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times. I prayed that it would leave me. But each time he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses and insults and hardships. Anybody, anybody relate with Paul in this? I take pleasure in it weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I'm made strong. See, pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. There's a lot to note in this specific text that Paul is writing to us that we can glean from. We're going to glean from today. So I'm just going to pray as we continue to dive into this text. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your spirit that has joined us here this morning at Word of Life. It's not an accident that we sit in the place that we're in, but in fact, you have a divine assignment, a divine word for each and every single person here. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that as I speak, your Holy Spirit would just tailor my words to be your words, my thoughts to be your thoughts. I thank you, Lord, that you brought us to this place together to learn and to grow. And I just pray that any walls that are built up would be torn down. And I rebuke the assignment of the enemy. We call it canceled. That the enemy will not have his way in this place. We cancel the assignment over families, over marriages, over children, over our church, over our nation. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are laying a new foundation And God, that you're going to use us to impact the world. So Lord Jesus, I pray right now that you would shape us, that you would correct us. God, that you would speak to us. But whatever you do, Lord Jesus, don't leave us the same way you found us. Make us better today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all awake? You guys like Chicago? I think we got a good team this year, not the Bears, but um, the Bulls. I think we're going to do pretty good this this year, and um, I love Chicago. By the way, whenever you're saying your prayers, can you lift up Chicago? Would you commit to just praying with us in this season just to pray over the city of Chicago? We need your prayers. So thank you so much for thinking about Chicago and praying with us. We're family, so I'm just going to extend that prayer request out there for you just to partner with us and pray for Chicago. Amen? See, I know something from this text, and that 
is that Paul was in pain here. I know this about you because I know it about myself, that as long as you are breathing, you're going to face hardship and pain. And what the enemy wants you to believe is that your pain and the presence of problems is somehow the absence of God. That God has looked over you. That God has maybe sidelined you. That maybe he stopped hearing your prayers. Because we believe that when we are going through things and we're experiencing problems and we're experiencing pain, that somehow God isn't working. Yet if you go through the text, you look at Paul's life or you look at the apostles and you look at stories throughout the Bible, whether it be Joseph or whether it be David, I'm sure that you could be encouraged in their stories because there's moments where I'm sure they didn't know how God was going to come through. They didn't know how God was going to work it out, but they stayed faithful in their assignment. But the enemy wants us to believe that God is not working, that God is done, that God has moved on that he's not faithful, that he's not going to come through, and that we are the ones that are going to have to process pain and problems on our own. See, the world has come out of one of the most trying times, maybe even historically, we know that with the pandemic, mental health wellness is one of the biggest concerns. Anxiety is up right now. It's reported that over 40 million adults suffer from anxiety disorder, according to the National Alliance for Mental Health. We know that anxiety is at an all-time high, but we know it's not a new thing. Trauma has always been something that humans have had to deal with. And Paul here is pleading with God to take this thorn or to take this problem or to take this sickness, to take this ailment away from him. See, you might feel anxious right now, but that anxiety can't have authority over your life. You might have a hard time even trying to identify exactly what's going on in you, why you're suffering or why you're going through pain or why you're going through hardship in this season. See, the height of anxiety is usually an indicator of where we believe God is working the least. Where we feel the most empty is usually the place that we believe God is not working. Maybe that place is a place we should invite Jesus into that he needs to fill, whether it's our finances, when we start to get worried about our finances, we start to get worried about relationships, when we start to get worried on the job and we get anxiety and we don't give it over to God, we get bogged down and we can only see our pain, we can only see our struggle, yet Jesus wants to fill that place. He wants to come in and take on that pain. He wants to come in and fill you with supernatural power and grace because Paul says that when I am weak, therefore I'm made strong because the kingdom of God is upside down living. It's, it's the way to the top is below. If you want to be great, learn how to serve. If you want to feel strong with the power of God, we got to boast in our weakness, give over our weaknesses to Jesus. But see, the human proclivity is to become autonomous from God. We try to do our own thing, and then we try to strong arm God into our will, into our way. 
And then we get discouraged because we've come up with a plan that actually isn't in God's word. And we say, God, but I've served you. God, I've been faithful. God, I've done this for you. Yet you're not doing A, B, and C for me. And then we get caught in our pain. Instead of going to the word of God and going, no, where is his promise? Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. That means that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're going to not go through seasons and hardship and things. But that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't with you. I believe that God takes our pain. The Bible says he takes everything that the devil has tried to use to destroy us, and he turns it for our good and for his glory. The reality is, is that the pathway to success and failure, they usually are horizontal. They usually ride together. You can be experiencing success in your business and actually failure in your relationship. You can be experiencing laughter and joy and blessing on one hand and actually grief and sorrow and loss on the other. In fact, Solomon writes about it in Ecclesiastes. He talks about the seasons and he talks about how <laughs> we go through different seasons, mourning and joy, and we go through hardships, and we, we face different challenges and different things, but the reality is they're often next to each other. So we have to learn how to dance with sorrow and waltz with laughter, that you can actually be able to do both. You can mourn and you can cry with those that are going through hardship and grief, and you can pray with them, but you don't have to get stuck in that path of pain, that you can actually laugh and have joy on one hand and celebrate with the new mom that just had her baby and still grieve the loss of maybe a miscarriage or your own loss in your own life. It, it, it's a dance. It's trusting God with the pain and the blessing. Amen? If we're not careful, we'll get so caught up in everybody else's success and everybody else's blessing, and we start to compare, even though the Bible says that we shouldn't compare ourselves with other people. It's not wise to do that because our path always looks different. So it's like comparing apples and oranges. It's like, well, my, why doesn't my life look like that person's life? Because your path and your lane is different. And why God chooses to work out certain things in our life in the way he does, we'll never know. But what we have to do is keep our eyes on Jesus. And we have to allow the thorn to perfect us. That the pain is there to shape us. See, the Apostle Paul was speaking. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he took the gospel to the Gentiles. He not only prayed and pleaded with God to take this thorn away, but he, he, he was dealing with physical pain. Most theologians speculate that this was a physical ailment. We don't really know what that exact thorn was, and maybe Paul kept it out so that we, as Christ followers, wouldn't read it and go, well, that's not me. That's not my pain. That's not my problem. So he puts it in there so that we can all relate. But it was enough pain that it made God, made Paul plead with God to take it away. But Paul's thorn didn't stop him. It led him. Is your thorn stopping you today or is it leading you? This is your ground for grace. 
This is where his weakness is on display. He boasts about what he isn't, and he gives glory to Jesus for who he is. Maybe you're here today and you've been struggling with a thorn. You've been going through some things, and it's been tormenting you, and you've avoided working through it or engaging your purpose because you believe the lie that because you're experiencing setbacks, because you've experienced pain, because you're in hardship, that God's not using you and he's not interested and he's not answering your prayers. And you prayed for God to take it away and you've concluded in your head that God isn't working because he would have taken this ailment, he would have taken this sickness, he would have taken this problem away from me if he really cared, if he really wanted to use me. Yet God is using us in the midst of our pain and our problem and he wants that thorn to shape you. Not to get you to fall back, but to lean more into Jesus. That's where the grace is. That's where the grace and the sufficiency of the grace works in our life. It's in our weakness, and it's in God's strength that we build ourselves up. See, the devil doesn't mess with people with purpose. Why would he waste time getting on your nerves if you weren't worth it? In fact, he would want you to stay in pride. Because we know here from this text that that's exactly what Paul dealt with. He was caught up into heaven, and yet he had a proclivity to pride. And so God used that thorn to humble him. God will always use suffering to humble his children. And see, the pathway to pride is destruction. But the pathway to humility is the pathway to heaven. It's Christ. So, of course, if the enemy didn't think you were a threat, he wouldn't be messing with you. But he knows the call of God on your life. He knows the gift that's inside of you. He knows the prayers that you've prayed. He's aware of what God is working out behind the scenes. He's aware of what God has already blessed you with, what God has started. And he's so afraid that he's going to finish the work in your life that he's trying to get you to stay in offense. He's trying to get you to stay in a place of pride and insecurity and for you to fall back and not push through the pain and not lean into the grace of Jesus. He's saying, yeah, become autonomous. Yeah, you don't need to go to church. Yeah, you know, you're justified in your offense. You know, they should have never treated you that way. It's funny how he just pulls up a seat and has conversations with you in the middle of your pain and your offense. But because the gift of God is so strong on your life and you've been breaking generational curses over your family and over your life and what God is doing, he's trying to stop it. So of course, he's using pain and problems to keep you out of the presence of Jesus. But I want to remind you today that your power, your power is found in the presence of God. It's not in your own strength. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to have all the answers. You know, God isn't scared of our questions. He's not derailed by, by, our, by our questions and our suffering and why. He wants to prove to you who he is. He wants to show you and reveal to you the nature of himself. The thorn was sent to frustrate you. What are you frustrated by right now? How much time do you think about that thing? How much emotional energy would you save 
if you gave that pain and that problem over to God. See, growing up in, in the great Northwest, I grew up in the 90s, and that was the like era and the time where your parents just send you outside, close the door, and say, don't come back in until 5 o'clock, till dinner's ready. Anybody else? Yeah, like, I, 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 I was thirsty. I didn't, no one gave me a drink of water. My mom was like, the hose is outside on the side of the house. If you're thirsty, it was like hot, dirty water. Just turn it on. You remember it was like scolding when it sat out in the sun? You drank from the hose, and I would knock on the window. I'm like, can I come in? My mom would be mopping. She'd be clean up. She'd be like, no, you're not coming in until dinner time. I'm starving. She'd like, you're just going to have to wait. Go eat the blackberries. Well, we had, we had woods and, like, bushes behind our house. So there were blackberries and, you know, red berries. And thank God I didn't eat the wrong berry. <laughs> I said that to my mom. I'm like... Did you know that those were like poisonous and you sent us out every day and you're like, if you're hungry, just eat the berries on the backside of the house? Like what? And she's like, oh, I knew you'd be fine. Well, thank God for the protection and the grace of God. I didn't eat some poisonous berries. It's like stranger things back there. It's just woods and no one knows what's going on. And, you know, it's the 90s. So it's go outside and play. And there was this, this wooded area. And of course, we were curious kids and there was a path that led uh, a mile outside of our house, and we would always walk it, and it would start to veer to the right at about halfway through that path point. We always wanted to go that way, but there were these annoying little sticker bushes. They weren't rose bushes, but I don't know if you guys have them here. They're like furry little leaves, and they basically have like knives on them, and they're close to the ground, and they just cut up your feet and cut up your legs. So we'd be walking, and then all of a sudden, I'd start to feel those stickers and those thorns. They get a little bit taller, and I'm like, I'm gonna, I really want to see what's what's to the right. I I, I want to go down this path, and I would never make it, you know, that far because I would get cut up on my legs. Well, years go by, five years go by, and they cleared out the woods behind our house. And my sister and I and a few friends, we go back and we're like, hey, we're going to go back and see this, this path we used to take and where we used to play as kids. We walk back there. They cleared it. We're like, hey, let's go down that path. Well, we start walking about halfway through the path where it veers to the right. And there's a 20-foot drop-off a, li- a little bit past that veering point. And I thought about if those thorns weren't there, If those sticker bushes weren't there, I wouldn't have seen the drop-off. I don't even know if I'd be here today. Sometimes those thorns in your life are not there without a cause or without a purpose. They're there to save you. They're there to shape you. They're there to redirect you. And thank God that you have some people, some thorns, some difficult conversations in your life that have helped shape where you're at. See, the thorn is not a diversion to your purpose. It's actually a pathway to it. See, Paul was known as Saul, and we know that he was a persecutor of Christians. If you're familiar with his story, even just a little bit, you would know that he was a Pharisee and that he was riding on his donkey from Jerusalem to Damascus. And in Acts 9, he was met by Jesus where he was knocked off his donkey and he was blinded for three days till Ananias put his hands on him and, and healed him. His, his sight was recovered and he was given the assignment to take the gospel to the Gentiles. 
The first thing to note here is that Paul was writing to Corinthians, which they were crazy. They were, they were caught up in their own comfort. They were listening to false teachers. And so Paul was, Paul was trying to encourage them that even though, even though he, he could boast about all the revelation and all the great things that God has revealed to him and everything that he's gone through, he wanted to encourage them all the more that he was going to boast about his weakness because that's where the real strength was, was finding it in the grace of God. He says, I, 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 could, I could boast about all the great things, but I'm not going to do it because I could be puffed up on pride. Second Corinthians eleven twenty three, He says, are they servants of Christ? Am I out of my mind to talk like this? I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and have been exposed to death again and again. And five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night... And a day in the open sea, I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jew, in danger from Gentiles, in, da in danger in the city, in the country, and at sea, and in danger of false believers. I have labored, and I have toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and I have been naked. Besides everything else, I face daily pressure. This is interesting. Of my concern for the churches. Who is weak? I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I am not inwardly burning. If I must boast, I must boast of things that show my weakness. The God and Father of Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. See, Paul is justifying why he would have authority to speak to the churches. I think next to Jesus, he suffered the most pain. We know this from his list of just physical ailments. I mean, stoned, uh, flogged, shipwrecked. I mean, the man has gone through excruciating, painful events Yet he's encouraging us. He's telling us to lean into God. He's telling us to stay strong. He said, I could brag all the more, but I won't. Paul had a revelation of God. He knew that the thorn was there to keep him humble. See, too many branches with a little root will bring the whole tree down. The reality of life is that God may never remove the thorn that you think he needs to remove for you to fulfill your purpose. He will just bring you back to that codependency that you need to call on the grace of God to fulfill it. Jesus said, abide in me and I will abide in you. God uses suffering to humble his children. He uses suffering to pull us closer. Paul knew that if he didn't have this problem that his ego would abort his purpose. Your pain is oil to your purpose. The things you go through, the things that you let God define in you and work out in you is your oil for the purpose that he's put on you. He knows that 
your, your nature to go away from him and, and live by your own standards and your own ways and your own sin and your own temptation. He knows how great that is in your life. So he uses those, those seasons of, of hardship and suffering and pain to shape us, to bring us closer to him because he's doing a greater work, the work we don't see, the work that we don't know. But yet he's drawing us to him. He's not pushing us away. He's calling us greater. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Think about this. Every morning, Paul had a controversy to settle with regarding his body. Every night, he had a battle to fight in his flesh. All day long, the devil was springing up passions. The Lord gave him enough work within himself to do, and because he battled well within himself, he battled well with the world. Because he wrestled, with the pain, because he wrestled with the disparity, because he wrestled with the emptiness on the inside of him, he wrestled well with the world. See, the world needs a strong church and us as Christians to be strong. We need to go out and show the love of God. The Bible says that where there is unity, God commands a blessing. But where there is strife, where there is jealousy, where there's envy, there's every evil work. So, of course, what does the enemy do? He causes us to be weak individually as Christians because of the things we go through. We don't lean into God. We don't trust God. We get mad. We get offended. God's not doing what I think he needs to be doing. He's not giving me his promises. He's not fulfilling my plan, except for it doesn't say my kingdom come. It says pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we get so far off and removed and we come in, you know, to, to, to church with offenses and heaviness because God's not doing what we think he should be doing. Instead of laying that burden down and picking up the grace and the peace that Jesus offers us and gives us, the grace that is sufficient for you in the middle of your hardship, in the middle of the divorce, in the middle of trials with your children, in the middle of of your finances and brokenness, in the middle of your pain and insecurity, God is working. He's just wanting you to lay it down to pick up his will. When the world sees the work of God in us, not in our strength and our supernatural ability to do it on our own and our pride and our opinions and our politics, and I'm not going to go there. Maybe just a little. Can I just say that the kingdom of heaven is not Democrat or Republican? Like, do you know that Jesus is a king? He's sovereign. So it's, he works as a king. So that's theocracy, not democracy. He didn't have to get a vote or run to be president, to be King Jesus, that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So kingdom first. He operates in a theocracy. He is sovereign. He is King. He says it, I do it. No vote, no question. If I walk in obedience, God blesses that. But if I get caught up in my own way, in my own pain, in my own process, then guess what? I fall back. I don't experience the joy of seeing God do the work. And people around you, people in your family, they need to see God working. 
And it's, it's okay to be weak. It's okay to go through hardship. It's okay to deal with, with issues in your life. But when you come out on the other side of it, you can testify to God's goodness. And then others around you are inspired by what God has done in your life. And the church is stronger. And the, and the church becomes a witness to the world that is dying, that is looking for someone to reach out, that is looking for the love of God that they don't even know exists. And we're so caught up in our own worries and our own opinions and our own problems. Instead of unifying on God's word, standing on his promises, declaring the gift of God on our life, declaring what God is doing in our nation and our world and our churches, declaring the goodness of God so that we can be a witness to the world so that when they look at the church, they're inspired because they see the strength of brothers and sisters in Christ walking in unity together. Amen. See, what we learn from Paul is that there is grace for your race. What is the purpose of pain? (laughs) To mature you, to grow your faith, and to place your dependence on God. And your ground is grace. You can't